this show is primarily inviting people who are making stuff for a living to get in conversations with others so that we can move forward and become better because we're together. The only way that happens is if you grab this episode and ring it for all it's worth. This is the Business of Creativity podcast. My name is Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Today's conversation was serendipitous. I had a chance to meet Michael Hyatt at an event at my alma mater. I'm a graduate of Biola University, and he was coming out to speak, and we had a chance to meet in a social context, and it turned out that we have a number of common friends, and that led to some great conversation, and he was gracious enough to join us here on Converge, and, and I'm super grateful that you're here. So thanks for being here, Michael. Thanks, Dane. Great to be with you. So if you guys don't know, Michael Hyatt, uh, his background is extensive. Uh, he's been around the publishing world in a lot of different roles. He's run the show at a, a major publishing house. He has been a book agent. He's a best-selling author himself. He's created huge influence in and around publishing. And when I say publishing, I mean that broadly. He has an incredible podcast, uh, his books. And of course, it, this can sound flattering after a while, but uh, Michael, you have had a lot of exposure to a lot of things when it comes to making stuff and putting it out there. And, and I'm wondering if you could just comment a little bit about that journey of, of how in the world did you get to where you're at today? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I was a philosophy major thinking that I would go to graduate school and probably end up either as a uh, professor or as a minister. I thought I'd go to seminary. <laughs> But the problem was is that in my senior year, I started working for a book publishing company. And I went to Baylor University and there was a book publishing company in my town uh, called Word Publishing. And I started working there part-time because I was about to get married and my father-in-law was very concerned. I don't know why, but he was concerned that I could support his daughter. And uh, so <laughs> I do, got, you mean, do you mean that, that philosopher majors can't support people's daughters? Because well, there, there's a whole funny story there because the, the chairman of the philosophy department would call all the seniors in every year and he did, did it with us as well. And he, and he said, look, I just want you guys to know that there are no jobs in philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel duty bound to tell you that. So unless you're going to end up as a professor and there's only a few slots available, you're probably going to have to find something else to do. Or you're going to be homeless. So, you know, I appreciated that and blew him off. Yeah. But, um, but I was already enamored with the world of ideas, but then to get in the book publishing world where you could take those ideas and not just talk about them like philosophers do over coffee or whatever, but to actually leverage the power of those ideas through publication really uh, got me excited. Mm. And so I fell in love with book publishing and really for 35 years, that's all I've done. I've, I've, I think I've worked in every aspect of uh, book publishing from marketing to sales to uh, being a CEO, but probably the best part of it and the best job in publishing is the editorial part of it where you get to be a sort of creative midwife and help people give birth to their best ideas. Mm -hmm. and that's still the part of it I love the most. Well, I, I love that frame, this idea of really publishing is about taking ideas and putting them in packages that people can can appreciate, can consume, can engage. Yeah. Uh, and I also love the, the, your perspective on that, that midwife comment about, you know, 
playing this curating, adding to, re-engineering role that takes an idea in one form and then puts it in another so that mm. either the right people or more people or fewer people, if that's the intention, can gain access to it. And I'm curious if you could comment a little bit about what you've noticed coming from the pre-internet era of publishing, where it was still just ideas put in certain packages. And then with this massive distribution channel of the internet, now, you know, such a formidable force that we all are kind of reckoning with. What has changed on a fundamental level, on the idea level, of and having ideas spread? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of it that is the same because it's still an extraordinary amount of work. And I've just come off a sabbatical where I finished a book. It's still an extraordinary amount of work, even given modern tools to write a book. But when I started, it was back in the days when, when the highest tech thing was an electric typewriter, you know, and then we got typewriters with a little bit of memory and the memory typewriters. And so I'm, I'm talking, this is pre PC. So as an author, as you're writing, you'd write something you didn't like and you'd have to white it out. That was, by the way, a big technological innovation was just liquid paper. <laughs> what, I, what I love is there's so many listeners who have no idea what liquid paper is. <laughs> going, what? what is what is white out? What is that? <laughs> so you couldn't, it wasn't like a word processor where you could just, you know, erase your thought. So, so in a sense, you had to um, uh, utilize the art of self-curation. So you were doing a lot more of uh, editing in your head because it was so much work to do it once it got on the page. So there was, I think, I think people were more careful to be precise and more deliberate and their ideas came out of their head more baked than they do today. Now, the good part about today is that the tools are easy. It's easy to get stuff out there. But now what we've, we've moved the curation outside of the author's head largely to, you know, first there was sort of the editorial relationship. And now because it's so easy to publish and get blogs up, you know, we crowdsource the curation. So somebody can get from what's in their head to a public forum very quickly. That doesn't make it better. It probably makes it worse. And there's a lot more content out there, but it's okay. It still gets taken care of because the cream rises to the top and the stuff that's not that good just kind of goes away. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because obviously a, a huge emphasis that you've had um, in recent uh, you know, months and years uh, is this whole idea of building a platform. And, yeah. and what you just shared really connects the dots here because it seems like on the one hand, building a platform has never been easier. And yet simultaneously, it's never been harder, it seems, to have a substantive voice just because of supply and demand. There's so many voices out there. You know, people talk a lot about signal and noise and how in the world can you, can you, f- be found in the midst of the sea of noise and give signal that is meaningful for people. Talk a little bit about that, that substantive core that isn't just about, you know, the technique of, of building the platform. I want to get to that in a second, because I know a lot of the listeners are going to be interested in that, but talk a little bit about what comes first, that, that primary piece of, of voice. Well, I do believe that content is king, that it has to start with the quality of your work. And otherwise, all these social media tools simply leverage it in a way that's not positive for the distribution because it's, and I quote this when I talk about it, but David Ogilvie, an advertising guy said, you know, great marketing only makes a bad product fail faster. Yeah, that's and right. it's really true in the world of 
social media because you can leverage these things in ways that you could only dream of in the past or you'd have to pay for in the past, but now you can do it for free. So quality is still scarce. Quantity is plentiful, but nobody cares about plentiful anymore. I mean, I just, I, I just, I came back from a run this morning and there on my driveway was my local paper. Now this is a paper I used to pay for and now they give it to me for free. And now I pick it up twice a week when they deliver it and put it directly in the dumpster. Mm. I don't even read it because I don't care anymore. It's, it's plentiful, it's free, but it's, the quality is not, and it's really not quality in the sense of, is it good writing? That's irrelevant. The thing that's, that's happened with the internet, it, the internet is it's possible for me to get connected with relevancy. So more important than anything in terms of how I view quality is, is it relevant to my interests? and my passions, and is it something I want to read? And as it turns out, I don't really care about the local news that much, so it goes right into the trash. Well, you know, it's funny, because this I think this is where I think I might have a blind spot, and I'd love to hear what, what your, your take is, because I think even the way I led that question, I was, you know, seeding the question with, gosh, there there is a bias towards this substantive core, but, like, what, what I'm hearing you recognize is, yeah, it certainly starts with that kind of, in your language, starting with wow and, and having a substantive, you know, mm-hmm voice but but there's an integrated part of that that also fits into the vehicle you're experiencing the good idea from or or you know the context that the content is going to live in and getting that right talk a little bit about that road well yeah for the purposes of discussion we're sort of abstracting content and platform as though they exist independently but the truth is it's like an an orange we used to talk about this in philosophy uh class too you know it's got its orangeness and its roundness but those are abstractions because it only exists as an orange. Well, the same thing is true here. A piece of content lives in a community. It lives in a context. And the best content, you know, comes out of those relationships and out of that person's experience, not abstracted somewhere in an ivory tower, but in the context of his daily life or her daily life and with the people that we're doing community with. So the platform kind of comes baked in or has to be a part of the consideration from the get-go because if yeah i mean it is possible to write books for nobody and just for yourself and they find an audience but it's much better if you're creating content with a specific audience in mind that you're trying to serve yeah well it's funny because i mean what you just described it sounds like a diary <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not a book but that's right but but it's interesting that connection because now what i'm hearing you do is you're expanding when you say quality is still scarce when you say quality, you actually mean holistic quality. So quality, not just yes. in, in voice or content, but getting the launch ready. And then in your language, again, building home base and expanding your reach and engaging your tribe, like all of these pieces, if they're not all solid links, you're going to run into problems. Yeah, you absolutely have to have both. It takes content and platform. And I think, unfortunately, when a lot of people define quality, it's sort of this abstract thesis um, measured against a standard that does that doesn't matter, you know. Like, does does this have real literary merit? Mm. Well, in whose view? Mm. You know, I, I want to judge that by the audience's perspective. Do they perceive it as meeting their needs? You know, and it may just be entertaining, it may be helpful, but it's got to be viewed from the intended recipient's perspective. That's how you evaluate quality. And I've published lots of books that. As a publishing executive, you know, we sat in a boardroom with, you know, our cigars, not really, but, you know, making these sort of aloof decisions about content, you know, this has literary merit and we're going to see this birthed. And then the book sat in the warehouse and didn't reach anybody because it was a book for nobody. And that's not quality either. 
talk a little bit about platform beyond writing. You, you get a chance to interact with a lot of folks I do. who yeah. are building platforms in various genres and kind of creativity. What's transferable and what isn't? Well, first of all, I think it's almost all transferable because at the end of the day, we've got people that have a product, a service, a message, a brand, a cause, something that they're trying to get noticed. And what everyone's noticed, speak of noticing, is that the world's a very noisy place and it's getting even noisier. You know, there are so many blogs, there are so many applications, so many social media networks, so many games, so many TV channels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you get noticed in that world? Well, in the old days, you had to pay for it. You know, you you got access to a traditional media channel channel, and you paid for that access because somebody else built a platform and they essentially rented it to you. But what's possible now through the miracle of modern technology is to build your own platform and actually get connected to people who care. Uh, because, and, and Seth Godin has made this observation in his book, Tribes, but you know it used to be that tribes were distinguished by ethnicity, geographical location, language, that type of thing. Now it's not because of the internet, it's possible to get connected with people who are diverse in all of those, but who share a common passion so that you're with people, for example, in your area, people who love photography, or maybe it's people who love landscape photography or portrait photography, or, or you know, you can chunk that down and niche it down as small as you want. And it's efficient now. It used to be very expensive to find those people in the past. Now it's possible to find those people and build amazing niches around very specific audience segments. And the great thing about it is, those people don't feel like you're promoting to them. You're sharing resources with them because you share the common passion. And that's what I love about building a platform uh, in this world. And, that, and that's why I think, to answer your question, why I think it's applicable to almost anyone. I love your reference to Seth. And, you know, he's a he's been a mentor to so many of us for so long. And his language that he adds of, you know, connect this, this idea of people getting that you care uh, mm -hmm. That wasn't his original idea. A lot of folks have thought of that before, but the way he frames that is always helpful. And one example that I've heard him speak about, he introduced me to, I don't i don't know Amanda, but Amanda F. Palmer, the musician who had this amazing Kickstarter campaign where she mm -hmm. is standing, you know, throwing cards and, and saying, you know, I want to make this new album and I don't want to be on a label and it's for you. And her passion just, without words, she's just compelling people to care but but not like a salesy person, like like I'm one of you. And yeah. at the end of it, she's holding this card up that says, I love you. And I I don't I don't know her, but I felt loved by her. Like there was something that kind of broke through. <laughs> and I felt like, you know, if the campaign was still on, I I might not even like her music and I'd want to how do people how do people pierce the the veneer and and get that sense of of uh I care because because when I think about whether it's an author, like the way I talk about Seth Godin, for example, or you and a number of authors that I, I'm grateful to have conversations with, that you're right. When I'm talking about you guys, I'm it's not a burden for me. It's like I, I want to yeah. tell my friends about them. It's, it's, I'm passionate about it. How can if I'm a, a creator of content, what do I need to do to pierce that veneer? Well, this is an overused term. It's been really used a lot in social media, but I'm going to use it anyway. And it's the, the word authentic. Back when I started out in my book publishing world, I was actually selling books to pastors. Now, here's the thing about it. I didn't really care about their lives. I was just trying to meet my own need. I didn't really even care about the books. I didn't use these books. I was just selling them. 
I got to the point where I could do my pitch on the telephone. I could be reading the newspaper and my mouth would be making the pitch. There was no authenticity there. You know, there was, you know, my heart was somewhere else and my lips were on another planet. You know, I mean, I was just not connected at all. So what makes it real and what makes Amanda's thing work or what makes anybody else's thing work in the real world of marketing is not somebody just sort of screaming to a faceless, massless horde, but talking to individuals about things that really do concern you. You can't fake this. You know, when I talk about platform, it's because I really, really care. When I talk about, it's been the subject of my new book I'm writing about life planning and living with intention, that's something I really care about. So kind of like you, it's not it's not a burden to me. I don't get up in the morning and think, oh, gee, you know, I got to put on my suit and go to work and talk about platform. You know, it's just natural. I mean, if I if you woke me up in the middle of the night and said, hey, let's just talk about something, it'd probably be platform. It'd be life planning or something else I, I care about. That makes it authentic. And that's what resonates with people and communicates with people. As I've tracked your career over the years, Michael, I've noticed that you have iterated a number of times when, you know, new passions show up or you yeah. care and, and, and you strike me as somebody and most of my philosopher friends are like this. There's both a, a, a depth of interest, but also a breadth of interest. How are you able to talk to an individual audience, like a particularized niche and be authentically broad, <laughs> uh, but relevant to that, that single person that needs to hear your voice? Well, it's, you know, it's tough. I mean, in a sense, because I, I, you know, if I was a consultant to myself, I would say, buddy, you need to niche it down. You're too broad. <laughs> and uh, I'm very eclectic. But the truth is, that's really who I am. And that's the most authentic part of me. I've got all these bizarre, random arrangement of interests. And what I've realized through the years is that what people really care about is my voice. You know, they care about my perspective on those topics. And it's just, I mean, actually, Seth is like this. Seth is like he this. He is like space. that. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. He's just, you know, you just really what you care about is Seth's perspective, and he uses it to teach you something about life. But it's not like, you know, he's only going to talk about marketing or he's only going to talk about social media or he's only going to talk about, you know, work in the new world. I mean, he's he talks about all of that and more because there's more to him than a niche. And so my advice to, to, to beginning bloggers especially is don't get too fixated on a niche because my guess is if I were betting money, you'll be on to something else in a couple of years. Just learn to express yourself and notice what's interesting to, to you and be authentic about that and you'll be okay. I think I've said on a number of occasions, if Seth Godin is talking about horticulture, that's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get something out of it. But, but you did say something in, in, in that last piece in particular that struck me is you said how you're organized, that there's something about a thoughtfulness to how you're organizing your platform, your presence, so that, and maybe this connects to you know your step two in your book, the preparing to launch or any advice for folks who are like, okay, I am broad. I do. I'm human, which means I have a lot of facets to my life. I want to package in a way that makes sense for folks that they can access it. Uh, yeah. and at the same time, uh, it's, that's going to require some thoughtfulness for how people are going to experience me. A any, any quick thoughts on that? Well, here's what would be really helpful, but I rarely see it happen. What would be really helpful if the, if you came up with sort of this central organizing principle early in your career and everything was a spoke off of that, but it was like this integrative, integrative principle that explained everything. For me, that's come after the fact. I've retrofitted it on. And I said, what is it about all these different diverse areas that, that, that what's the common thread that, that holds them all together? For me, it's I help leaders leverage their influence. 
So it's not really that simple. I do it through publishing, I do it through social media, I do it through helping them be more productive, but it's all about that. So that's kind of the organizing principle. And increasingly, on my blog in particular, if it doesn't relate to that, then I might express myself somewhere else, but it's probably not gonna go on, on my blog. So I would advise people, people are listening to this, look for that kind of, that organizing principle, but don't wait to get it before you start because oftentimes it's only revealed in the doing. You'll be able to recognize it five years hence or six years from now, but you don't wanna to wait till you get it perfect, you don't need to. The best way to find your voice is to, to get out there and start using it and then it'll show up and you'll be able to kind of organize it later. So the last two things I wanna ask about, the first of the last has to do with Platform, the book, and also Platform University. I know for myself, I, I, I actually have a love-hate relationship with your work, Michael, because I needed this like <laughs> 10 years ago. Why did why was this not here when I needed it? Uh, but, but, it but it's here today, and that's and it's fantastic. It's it's a it's a very helpful frame for people. But what I love what you've done with Platform University is you've extended the conversation now and gone from, you know, how do you get uh, ideas in 225 pages? And then really involve more people, bring in new resources, things that can't fit in the spine of a book. Talk mm -hmm. a little bit about Platform University and what that can mean for folks who want to build a platform. We cooked up this idea of PlatformUniversity.com, which is a membership site that you actually pay for. I think it's, you know, I don't know, we're actually about to go up on the price, but uh, 25 to $30 a month. And you get access to the world's leading experts on platform building. So for example, last month I interviewed Amy Porterfield, who's one of the leading experts on Facebook marketing. So all we talked about was Facebook. I'm gonna be talking to Lewis Howes later on, who's like the LinkedIn guy. And I've talked to people about blogging and all that. So we do a masterclass. Then we do something called a backstage pass where I take you inside my business and let you sort of see how I make the sausage. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's all video. And then I do something called a member makeover where people who are members can on a volunteer basis submit their platforms for my review and I critique it and try to offer them some suggestions for how they can take it to the next level. And then we do a live call once a month where people can ask me questions. And then finally, we have these open discussion forums, which I think are the biggest value to Platform University where our members can connect with one another and help one another. And as it turns out, they've got a lot to offer. So that's Platform University. That's awesome. And and uh, the other thing that I was really struck by, this is our last point, has to do with uh, the last month and a half of your life where, you know, you and I had a chance to bump into each other here in California and you were about to take off. And I couldn't believe I was hearing what you're saying. You're like, yeah, I'm going to take a month and, and write a book. And I'm like, yeah, I've written books. Uh, 30 days <laughs> isn't how normal people do that. Um, but it, it seems like, and I've noticed on your podcast, you know, you've, you've really unplugged and gave yourself a window of time to truly sabbatical and some great results came out, especially connected to your, uh, this life planning, uh, living with intention idea. Talk a little bit about the importance of sabbatical or, or getting perspective. And also I'd love to hear a little bit about, about the new book. I know it's not out yet, but, um, I know listeners would love to anticipate it. Well, first of all, this is one of the great benefits of having a platform is that it's, it's given me the opportunity to create a lifestyle that serves me rather than me serving it. So if I want to take a month off, my business still runs, my platform's still going, money's still coming in, all of that, which is great. And that's one of the huge benefits of building a platform. But this is something I also plan a year in advance. So I've already got a month set aside next summer for my next sabbatical. I don't know what yet I'm going to do. But I know I need a time 
when I can really unplug and focus on a couple of high priority, high value uh, projects that I can't do in the normal course of my life when I'm trying to blog and podcast and interact with people and go speaking and blah, 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 blah. So I need that time away. So we went deep into the Colorado Rockies uh, for 30 days and we weren't totally unplugged, but I wasn't podcasting, I wasn't blogging. Every morning began for my wife and I, after we got up, we would go on a walk. Uh, I say a walk, it's actually a hike up a, a trail. We were at 9,000 feet, so we go up to about 10,000 feet, come back in an hour. Um, then I would write for three hours and we'd have a lunch break. Then I'd take a nap, then I'd write some more so I could get in about six hours a day. Then we'd go fish or we got hooked on a television show called Friday Night Lights. I probably shouldn't admit that. <laughs> Texas Forever. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, like we're so, we watched three episodes last night. We're so addicted to this show, and we never watch TV. But it was just a great time to renew our relationship with God, with one another, and really do that creative work that's so, so necessary, but do it in a way that I'm not distracted by the other stuff of life. Oh, wow. and the book. You wanted to know what the book's about. I'll tell you just real yeah, quick. me and everyone. Yeah. Okay, so the book is this. This is the basic premise you're probably not going to drift to a destination you like in terms of your marriage, your parenting, your career, and all the rest. If you're going to be successful and be happy and make your life count, you're going to have to be more intentional than that. So this book is an attempt to help you get very intentional in the nine basic domains of life and come up with a plan. It's not you know, that detailed or that difficult, but at least guides you toward a life that you want to create and a life that you know uh, you'd be happy with. And I mean, so many people that live with regrets or that, you know, end up going through some life trauma and go, I, I don't know how it happened. Well, they're getting boiled like the frog in the proverbial kettle, and they've never set out with an intention of going anyplace different. So this book is just to help people get really intentional about their lives. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you on the internet? The best place is michaelhyatt.com, and that's Hyatt with a Y. This has been episode 007 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. For all past episodes, go to FastTrackCreative.com. Music provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. I'm your host, Dane Sanders. See you here next time.